Hello, and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by the Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. The following lesson is by Dr. Danny Campbell, senior pastor at the Tabernacle, and was recorded during our Wednesday evening Bible study. Additional information about the Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles as we join Dr. Danny for another edition of Tabernacle Today. All right. Well, last time we were talking about verses related to the tribulation, and we had so many of them, we decided to pull up short and finish it up this week. And so, tribulation part two tonight, mostly looking at the verses from the book of Revelation. So I just want to drop back and talk about where it fits. First of all, we've been going through a little study on these Wednesday nights uh, to have for posterity, you know, and that is that uh, looking at the ages, the dispensational ages, and that way of uh, looking and reading the Bible uh, that really um, is the natural uh, fruit of just thinking in terms of the Bible, meaning what it's saying literally, taking it plainly, and making sense of how it unfolds for us and how in any age that we would speak of, the Bible does speak of ages past, the current age, and ages to come. In any age, people are saved by faith in God, and then they're to do what He says during that age. And that certainly was different for the very few commands Adam and Eve had to keep uh, versus later Israel and now the church and times to come. So uh, my definition for dispensationalism has been that it's been God's creative management of the ages in keeping with his own internal plan, incorporating the good and bad choices of humans. And so we uh, think we know what we're doing. Uh, we make choices. The, there's a great saying that says, man proposes and God disposes, you know, and he laughs at our plans and he is, he's like the ultimate chess player. You know, he can think no matter what we decide and choose to do, uh, he is thinking what all the ramifications are after that for not only us, but how our choices affect the entire world and he will bring what he plans to have happen to fruition. And the Bible has wonderfully uh, told us history in advance. That's what the word prophecy means. And so uh, we're in the church age now, the age of grace. And, um, but uh, as we talk about the tribulation, we're, what, we're talking about what happens after this age. So the tribulation is gonna take place between the age of grace that we're currently in and the coming age of peace the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ over the whole world from Jerusalem. The prophets talked about it a lot. They talked about a golden time to come that's not quite the new heavens and the new earth yet, uh, but it's Revelation 20 that fixes that at being a thousand years, uh, which is pretty neat when you think about it. The world's about 6,000 years old, and after six days of, of work, what was Israel commanded to do? Rest for a day, right? And that principle actually goes back to before Israel, to the very week of creation, where God created everything in six days, then rested on a seventh. And so if the world's about 6,000 years old, and any time the Lord will come back and rapture His church, it makes sense that just a little bit down the road, there'll be uh, one more thousand-year period, you know, that'll be equivalent to uh, the Sabbath, uh, that, uh, the, the uh, rest that happens the seventh day, the seventh thousand years. Anyway, so the name of this age is the tribulation, with the last half being called the great tribulation. And Jesus called it that in Matthew 24, 21. Also in Jeremiah, it's called the time of Jacob's trouble. Um, and that is directly from Jeremiah 30, verse 7. Uh, 
Scriptures covered, well, last time we looked at plenty of the Old Testament prophets, particularly Daniel and Zechariah that define uh, either that time or also the um, Battle of Armageddon just at the end of that time when Jesus returns in His second coming. Um, and then, of course, Revelation chapter 6 through 19. Synopsis, the tribulation is the coming seven-year period of time that precedes the second coming of Jesus in His thousand-year reign from Jerusalem. Its fullest description of events and its Antichrist ruler is in Revelation chapter 6 through 18. I don't think the title Antichrist appears there, uh, but there's about six, seven, eight, somewhere in there, titles for the Antichrist throughout the scriptures. Clearly, it's the same person that's being spoken of there, um, the worldwide ruler to come. Its three purposes appear to be the judgment of the satanic world system, uh, you know, forever. Uh, man has said, we want to do earth without God, and during that time of tribulation, uh, the Lord's going to let him. He's going to say, okay, you try to make things work without me at all. And so God's judgment, I believe, in the tribulation starts more passively uh, by letting earth try to figure out how to deal with meteors and other things without God deflecting and helping it. You know, NASA's already trying to work on such things because they say we could get hit with something one day. Um, let me do a quick rabbit trail. I don't know if you got to see today 90-something-year-old William Shatner uh, broad, uh, go out into space for a few minutes, but it was so cool uh, to think about uh, him doing that. And one thing that was neat was, I don't know if you got to hear the four-minute version of him talking when he got back down, and he uh, just uh, showed the awe that we ought to all think about when we think about how fragile it all is and how much uh, we depend on God. He said, you know, I got up there and, you know, you pierce through, you get to the, right now the sky is Carolina blue, but you pierce through the, just that little bit of Duke blue for a little bit and then you're in darkness, right? And uh, there you are and it's dark. And, and he just couldn't believe, you know, how quickly he went from light to dark. And then from the dark was able to look back down and see the earth and it be, uh, you know, the, the ball and um, the things that you see from space looking back down. And he was just kind of overcome uh, as he was being interviewed about the fragileness of it all, you know. And uh, it was interesting. He talked about back on earth, there's, there's, there's uh, life and mother and earth and, you know, all these different things. And, and you get out into that darkness and what is it? He said, what is it, death? And it was just kind of neat. So uh, how uh, this man that I don't believe knows the Lord was processing, uh, you know, the, the, the magnificence of it all, you know. Uh, but during that time of tribulation, God's not going to help earth. Now, I mean, if he, just, if he stopped helping at some level, all the atoms of every person and thing on earth would just disintegrate, you know. So he's still going to hold all things together, right? But he's not going to keep some of the consequences of sin from happening that he often does. We, we won't even know till we're in heaven what God keeps from happening, right? We oftentimes reflect on the things that we hate that have happened, but if God was not actively restraining evil and keeping bad things from happening uh, again, uh, just at the molecular level, things would fall apart without Him holding things together. Well, the time of tribulation is also going to involve the salvation of huge numbers of Jews turning to Jesus and the last chance for others to be saved on earth. And in this synopsis I've written that Revelation 3.10 seems to promise the church will be raptured to heaven before it begins. And I'm one of those guys that believes that. Uh, and, you know, uh, if we go through the tribulation, God will be with us. He'll protect us somehow, like Egypt was Israel was protected in Egypt. If the worst thing that happens to us, people kill us, 
we'd go directly to be with Jesus, just like now, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Um, but I do think we have that promise there in Revelation 3.10 and uh, 1 Thessalonians also. The time period covered, it's the seven-year period of time to come that will precede that's your fill in the blank, that will precede the second coming of Jesus and his thousand-year reign from Jerusalem. Now, we should say there very well could be some period of time between the rapture and the tribulation, and Daniel indicates there will be time between the second coming of Christ and the setting up of the rule, you know, 75 days or so. When he gets to the end of Daniel, he gives the three-and-a-half-year number again with some extra days in there, you know. And so that's something to think about. Well, privileges and characteristics, this is the language I've used for the ages, and I just wanted to go ahead and have this with the tribulation too. So characteristics is God's wrath is going to be poured out on the satanic world system with increasing severity. We'll see that in a moment when we look at the judgments, the seals, the, the trumpets, the bowls. They seem to everyone get a little worse than the one before. Um, the Antichrist will rise from a renewed Roman Empire to rule the world. Um, so we saw Daniel 2, Daniel 7 talk about the Roman Empire, basically the ten toes of it, you know, uh, or the ten heads that it says in Daniel 7 uh, are kings and kingdoms. And somehow three will dominate the ten, but one will then dominate out of the, will defeat the three and rule the whole thing, you know the Antichrist. Uh, we know that he'll implement a peace treaty helping Israel at the beginning. Daniel 9 gives us that uh, clearly. That the, uh, and then he'll renege on that treaty halfway through the tribulation. Um, Jesus repeats that in the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24. The last half of the tribulation will be particularly hard to go through. In fact, I shudder to think about it, but Zechariah 13.8 seems to indicate that two-thirds of Jews living in Israel will die during those three and a half years, um, which is just so hard to think about how many will be killed and go directly to be with the Lord uh, during that time. Those who have, um, hopefully many have turned to the Lord by that point. Uh, worshiping Satan's Antichrist will become compulsory. Revelation 6 to 18 makes that clear in two or three different ways. Uh, there will be two Jewish witnesses and 144,000 Jewish witnesses sharing with the world, as Revelation indicates. Um, Revelation 7 gives us the hope that people from every people group on earth will turn to Christ which is kind of neat because if Revelation 5 is before the tribulation begins, it already shows somebody from every people group responding. Revelation 7, it's got the same thing happening again, but this time it's from those that hear the gospel during the tribulation. And we know that because uh, the angel asked John, who are these? And he says, you know. <laughs> I don't know, you know. And he says, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation, right? The ones killed for their faith. Um, and then uh, Jesus will return, defeat the forces of Antichrist, and throw them in the lake of fire. New responsibility, a little bit hard to use that language here, but just being consistent with our previous ages. Anybody that turns to Christ during that time needs to persevere by faith and witness. Of course, that's pretty much true now also. But they will, will have the unique responsibility not to worship Satan's false trinity during that time. So Satan hates God. He, he fashions himself on the level of God the Father. So there's Satan, then there's his Antichrist, 
And then there is the false prophet, kind of an unholy trinity. And the false prophet's going to try to get people to worship the Antichrist and really be worshiping Satan during that time. And uh, I love Revelation 12 because in there it shows there will be a time where uh, God allows Michael to do battle with Satan and the demons. Michael and the angels do battle with Satan and the demons. And Michael will whoop Satan. So Satan's more on the par with Michael as an archangel, not anything like uh, the goodness and power of God. Uh, responsibility, do not be deceived by the false prophets. So uh, there's verses from Jesus that indicate that in Olivet Discourse, uh, and particularly it's false religion and the false prophet uh, trying to make this new worship uh, based on the old Babylonian system pointing to this Antichrist figure. Don't receive the mark of the beast uh, is another responsibility during that time. And uh, we'll be looking at that on a Sunday morning uh, and um, it, is, uh, it uh, is one of the most intriguing things about the book of Revelation that nobody really knows the answer to. <laughs> Failure. Despite many last opportunities to receive Christ, multitudes do not. And so if the, you know, I see so much grace in that tribulation. People say, well, why those seven awful years? Why that hardship? And it's like, well, God, you know, God could just leave us in a state of when it's done, it's going to be done right? My older sister uh, used to terrorize me. I'm a terror victim. Uh, when I was a kid, she was, she's very large, my sister, you know, and uh, I, sometimes I do things just to see if she ever listens to this stuff, you know, so, um, but, uh, but she knows this story. So she uh, would, um, she would, uh, I would do something to her, because bratty little brothers do, and then she would look at me, and she would sometimes just literally jump up and down on me or something, sit on me, squeeze the life out of me, right? But she got wise to the fact that I was pretty hard-headed, and instead of getting me back directly, sometimes she would just say, when you least expect it. And I would live in terror until she got me back for whatever I'd done, right? And she'd, she'd forget to get me back, you know? And so I'd be like, oh no, you know, she's going to come and get me. Well, God could do the earth like that. He could just say, listen, um, you know, y'all are so sinful, one day it's just going to be done, and those who are in heaven with me win, and everybody else loses. Instead, he has graciously told us that he'll give multiple opportunities, even building up to the end, and those in this time will know. I mean, basically, the lights are getting turned out. You ever, you ever been at something, and uh, they start turning out the lights, you know? I turn out the lights, the party's over, you know, the person's using the, uh, you know, they're running the mop across the floor, you know, they're doing this, they're doing that. Cleanup's begun, right? And uh, it's time to go, you know, and if you look at the tribulation that way, you see a lot of God's grace in giving people opportunities to turn before it's too late. Another failure is that many join the Antichrist in trying to stop Jesus from returning to earth. How foolish is that, right? How foolish is it to think that you can line up? This makes me think that... Um, when um, you're in the time of the tribulation and it leads up to Christ's return, I think before He and the saints return from heaven, I think the New Jerusalem will be visible on earth. Uh, so I think that people will look and they'll already have ruled out aliens. Early on, I think when the rapture happens, they'll say, it must be something with aliens, right? But I think by that time in the tribulation, they'll look up and say, 
this is like that stuff in the Bible that he's left us to read, right? And so he's going to come down and rule on earth. We don't want him ruling on earth. Let's fight against him. Maybe we can defeat him. And you say, why would people be that stupid to try to think they could take on God and win? Well, Satan's that dumb, you know. He, he, he thinks he can. He's like, well, let's just see if that's really going to happen, you know. And, uh, uh, you know, they, 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 there's that expression in sports. That's why they play the game, you know. And uh, pretty much uh, most pro teams could whoop any high school team. And you could use the thing and say, well, that's why they play the game, you know. But you know what's going to happen. And God is going to defeat the forces of the Antichrist gathered uh, at his second coming. Well, what ends when that age ends? Satan's ability to influence people for the next thousand years. So, hallelujah, in Revelation 20, we're told that when Christ returns, sets up his kingdom on earth, Satan, during that age of peace, and we're going to look at that next time, but uh, won't be able to influence things for a thousand years. That's pretty cool. And the toleration of all outward expressions of sin for the next thousand years. We're told that Christ's rule will be so complete during those thousand years that he will not be openly defied or mocked. Uh, wickedness will not happen openly around the world. It may happen at a heart level, uh, but it will not be happening around the world. So that is a great time to think about because all the best and most exciting things you can do are sin-free. They're without sin, and that will be the case during the millennium. Carry over to the next age. All Jews and earth dwellers who turn to Christ during the tribulation and survive the persecution will remain on the earth to be governed by Jesus Christ. Presumably, they will be able to have children who will, each generation will need to also choose for Christ. Some will at the heart level, some won't. Uh, that millennium will be described by long lifespans again, like early in the book of Genesis. And then another carryover will be the saints in heaven who will, ha who will have returned to earth with Jesus and will help rule the earth for the next thousand years. And I gave you that reference there, Matthew 19, 28 and 29. Now, turn to Revelation chapter 6, and we're just going to go through. Uh, again, this is still overview, uh, so we're going to go through. And even as you turn to 6, I'm going to read you Revelation 3.10 again. It says, Because you've kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. You say, Pastor Danny, do you believe that's the promise, the key promise that the church, uh, the Christians, will not have to go through the tribulation? I do. In the context of the book of Revelation, I have no idea what else that could mean. You know, uh, it certainly was not meant just for that church then, uh, and because uh, it says this is what the Spirit writes to the churches, and so it is one of those all-encompassing promises. Even like the psalmist used to say, the wicked won't be on the earth, their memory will be forgotten, but the righteous will inherit the earth. One of the great things about the Old Testament Psalms is they look past what we think of as heaven to that final reality. They're looking forward to, like Job, seeing, being in a body, seeing Christ, God in a body, and uh, being with Him forever on a renewed earth, a perfect earth. And so they go all the way to the end, and that helps answer one of those questions people have when they read the Old Testament. How come it doesn't talk a lot about heaven? Because they were looking forward to being in a perfect body on a perfect earth. That's why. And that is the final reality the book of Revelation uh, talks about. So, um, especially when it says the hour of trial, which is going to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. When Revelation 4 opens, going all the way out to um, the very end of the book, 
The word church doesn't occur again after occurring a lot from Acts chapter 2 to Revelation chapter 3. What does occur is the words earth dwellers, and all of a sudden you see Israel a lot again, uh, you know, like the Jewish witnesses by the tribes, 12,000 from each tribe, so you get that. Okay, so when you're going through the tribulation presented in Revelation 6 through 18 and 19, there's kind of two ways you need to look at it. It appears that as the seals and the trumpets and the bowls unfold, it looks like we're being given chronology. In other words, the second will follow the first and so on all the way through. When you get to the other information presented in Revelation 6 through 19, those seem to be interludes that happen sometime during the time of the tribulation or fill in more information about uh, something in the tribulation like the Antichrist or the false prophet. Uh, and so I've seen some people try to, because there's seals, then an interlude, there's trumpets, then an interlude, bowls, and then an interlude, and some try to fit the interludes into the ones that have just come in there. And I don't think you have to worry about doing that, particularly when it comes down to things like the 144,000 witnesses, when they do, when they don't, etc. Um, so anyway, if you don't uh, agree with that, we can still be friends. But So the chronology. Seal 1, there, it's a white horse, chapter 6. Any of this you want to try to find as we look through these chapters. We're in chapter 6 starting out. You're welcome to, but again, it's an overview. Seal 1 presents a white horse with a conqueror riding, and we sometimes think of Jesus riding back from heaven in the, on the white horse in Revelation 19, but it appears this is actually uh, a reference to the Antichrist, the one that will try to bring in peace but not be so successful at it. And the reason why we know he'll have hollow promises is because of the next three horsemen that follow. The, when you hear of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, it's a reference to these, this creative way of talking about horses coming out and delivering these things as the um, uh, tri tribulation time gets going. So we, the emergence of Antichrist. And that kind of gets us thinking like Daniel again about that last seven years and the time of the Antichrist, the one who makes a peace treaty with uh, Israel. It looks like he's bringing peace, but seal two is a fiery red horse and peace is taken from the earth and there's much killing and much war. So Antichrist uh, first probably uh, achieves peace for Israel somehow and all the good things are happening to Israel for a little bit. And, uh, but it's at some point degenerates and you've got war and peace not happening. Seal 3, a black horse, there's scarcity on earth. Um, you say, well, Pastor Danny, we might be in the tribulation right now with our supply problems. <laughs> no, but, that's, but things are foretaste, right? You know, and we, you know, we're, we're in an age where we can really see the stage being set you know, for things like a one world government and for all the world knowing about something at one time and Israel actually being a nation again. And so it's interesting if you read through Revelation and just say, when was the first time in world history that that would have been possible? And you pretty much have the last few decades, right? And now we're in a situation where we, we don't look at anything and don't have some kind of explanation for that looking like something we're seeing in our day or can suppose, you know. Uh, even this COVID thing, we've seen how quickly 
you know, um, you know that uh, things can degenerate um, into one side versus the other, and a sense of you, you know, gotta gotta do. And so we um, we all want to be healthy, but we don't want to lose our liberty. And it's uh, you know we're talking about those things every day. Seal four is a pale horse ridden by death with Hades following. And under seal four, which is in verse seven of chapter six, it says that a fourth of humanity dies. So how's that uh, life on earth without God thing working for you? Well, not very well, because if there's eight billion people living when the Lord raptures the church and the tribulation begins, by the fourth seal, two billion will be, have died. That's a lot of people. That's frightening to think about. Seal number five shows martyrs in heaven praying for justice on earth. One of the reasons why I love that passage is it shows that the people in heaven know about even bad things on earth and are saying, God, bring justice. You know, that's not right. So sometimes people think those in heaven are somehow gloriously clueless about things on earth. Well, under that seal we see saints there praying about even bad things happening and saying, God, aren't you going to do something about that? And uh, so I think saints do get to join the Lord in praying about things that are on earth, even bad things. Seal 6, there's a great earthquake. <clears throat> there's cosmic disturbances and mankind is scrambling. And um, so Seal 7 includes all that comes after. So Seal 7 is not in itself a specific thing. It includes everything that comes after. You ever get one of those telescopes? One of those handheld ones, right? Tell me if there's a name for it. But you know, you hold it up like this, and you can pull the third part into the second part, and then the second part into the first part. The second part and the third part are in the end of the first part, right? That's the telescopic view of the seals, the trumpets, the bowls. Okay, good. Um, trumpet number one, there's hail and fire. My goodness. Now, it says then, a third of trees will be burned up and all green grass burned. So that is a, a very significant co uh, cosmological event. will have devastating consequences on earth, as all these things will be. Now we should say, <clears throat> what's the difference between the trouble the world always has, including floods, natural disasters, etc., and the time of the tribulation? Um, these things are described as the time of God's wrath, right? So Christians do have trouble in the world because of sin's effect on the world. You know, there are storms, there are hurricanes, there are things like that. Um, and there are persecutions of God's people, etc. Um, <clears throat> during the time of tribulation, whether directly, indirectly, it's clearly that seven years of the time of Jacob's trouble, God's uh, judgment. Trumpet 2 seems to be something like a volcano. Mountain falls into the sea. A third of sea becomes blood. One third of sea life dies. My goodness. Trumpet three, the wormwood star falls. A third of the waters become bitter. Many people die. Trumpet four, cosmic disturbances. By the way, we're in chapters eight and nine now is where this is at. Trumpet four, cosmic disturbances. A third of the heavenly objects are darkened. Trumpet five is one of my favorite. It's when demonic creatures from the bottomless pit torment people for five months so badly that people want to die but don't die. And as I was wondering once upon a time how to preach that, I said, my goodness, how can I preach that uh, and make sense of it? And can I see God's grace and mercy in there? And you know what? I could. Because I realized 
there is something worse than hell on earth for five months, and that's hell forever, right? And so by this time, you'll be down to mostly the chowderheads, the knuckleheads that just won't, don't want to repent no matter what. And in many different ways, God's wooed them and loved them, and he's making these appeals that it's time, you know. Um, you have to turn to God. Trumpet 6, it tells us about four Euphrates angels being released. Somehow there's an army of 200 million. Um, it was interesting. I was teaching this to some brothers in Africa once upon a time, and I said many American Christians think this might involve China somehow. And uh, they said, oh, no, over here we teach that's America. <laughs> but more seriously, Trumpet 6, a third of humans die. Whew, so let's get back to our 8 billion. Say there's 8 billion people on earth when the tribulation starts. If, uh, if um, a quarter die, that brings you down to 6 billion. If here a third die, that's another 2 billion. So now you're up to half of the population that enters the tribulation somehow dying during this awful, awful, awful time. Um, trumpet 7, well, it includes all that comes after, so it's not a specific thing by itself. It is all the bowls. Bowl number 1, and this reminds us somewhat of the torments on Egypt as their gods were being judged, and that's really what's happening. The Babylonian world system that's affected things, the godless world system, it's being judged like Egypt was being judged once upon a time for having gods that were not God. Bowl one is foul and loathsome sores. Man. Bowl two, sea becomes blood. Every sea creature dies. Well, you're not going to get much more earth as it is after that. Bowl three, fresh water becomes blood. Bowl four, mankind is scorched by the heat of the sun. Bowl five is darkness and pain. Bowl six, the Euphrates dries up. Demons gather the whole world to battle God. Uh, and uh, we should say uh, people inspired by demons, you know. And Bowl 7, the biggest earthquake ever, Jerusalem divided, global cities fall, and then 100-pound hailstones. And the pronouncement comes that it is done. And what happens next is Christ's return and Him setting up the time of peace where the world, having been thoroughly judged, uh, there will never be outward manifestations on sin again, of sin again. So that is the bowl, the, the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls. And then when you get to chapter 7, so go back to chapter 7 now, there's these interlude things that go sometime during the time of the tribulation. So... The reason why I say it's not necessarily presented in an exact chronological order, but you put them somewhere in the tribulation, is to me, I partly believe that like a lot of scholars do, but I partly believe that because the chapter 7 opens by talking about 144,000 Jewish witnesses that will be saved. Uh, 12,000 from each tribe. The one that's left out is the idolatrous tribe of Dan. Um, and uh, which hurts my feelings is somebody named Dan. But um, I would think that one thing that would greatly influence 144,000 Jewish young men to turn to Christ was seeing the two witnesses for, that are going to prophesy. We're, we find out about them in Revelation 11. Probably somebody of the stature of Moses and Elijah who are going to prophesy from Jerusalem for three and a half years. So the way I like to think about it is that comes first and they influence 
the 144,000 to want to get saved too. So I think you're getting more information as time passes. And the scripture does that in places. Genesis 1 gives all six days of creation. Genesis 2 goes back and gives even more information about um, you know, uh, the day six. And book of Jeremiah bounces around like that. So I think you get some of that filling in more information as you go. Um, Revelation 7 also talks about the martyrs killed during the Great Tribulation, gives us that great image of those that have come out of the Great Tribulation. So I like to think in terms of God raises up these two witnesses, Moses and Elijah. They can't be killed. They're prophesying. The world, uh, on the one hand, loves the Antichrist. They hate what these guys are saying, but some Jewish people are inspired. They're turning to Christ. They, in turn, witness all over the world, and people from every people group get saved. And so it's pretty neat to think about it that way, and many people do join me in thinking that way. In Revelation 10, we're told of a mighty angel uttering seven thunders. So just to keep us humble, we're told of not only there being seals, trumpets, and bowls, but seven thunders that were not able to be described. <laughs> so they got that to look forward to. Um, the number three and a half years, or 1260 days, or 42 months, occurs over and over again in the book of Daniel, but also in this time in Revelation when it's describing these days. So <clears throat> we're told that Gentiles would tread Jerusalem underfoot for 42 months. That's Revelation 11. And then the two witnesses will prophesy unharmed in Jerusalem for 1260 days, the same time period. Um, at the end of those three and a half years, the uh, two witnesses are killed by the beast, the Antichrist, but rise three and a half days later and ascend. That's still Revelation 11. We're told of an earthquake, another earthquake that will destroy the city. Um, I love Revelation 12. It tells us there come a time where if you look at the history of Satan, Satan, since he uh, rebelled against God, has been increasingly restricted ever since to the point where finally he'll be in the lake of fire forever, right? So um, we're told that three and a half years into the tribulation, Satan will be defeated by Michael in this battle and won't be able to influence things on the uh, cosmic scale anymore. He'll have to be on the earth, which is pretty cool to think about. Um, so, but he'll be thrown down to earth and persecute Israel for 1260 days. That's the time of Jacob's trouble, right? That's the time where perhaps two out of every three living Jews will die, which is just horrible to have to think about. Revelation 13 tells us more about the Antichrist. It talks about seven heads and ten horns. It explains that the seven heads are kings and kingdoms that have already been. So. Uh, most people relate this to Israel because you're not going to understand prophecy if you don't know Jesus and you don't know it and you don't make it about Israel, right? So, Scripture doesn't care about Genghis Khan, right? Doesn't care about things that happened on other parts of the world. When it talks about the great kingdoms that have influenced the world, it's talking about what's happened around the Mediterranean Sea, specifically with Israel as the center of the world. So, in that mind, there's been seven great kingdoms. There have been uh, Egypt, then Assyria, then Babylon, then Persia, then Greece, then Rome. 
and then the renewed Roman Empire at the end of days that the Antichrist will sit over, right? So it makes clear that he's of these, the Antichrist is, has come out of this heritage, and there will be some kind of ten-nation configuration like Daniel 2 and Daniel 7 talked about, that number's brought back out in Revelation, and the Antichrist will be the leader of this, these things, and he is going to um, desecrate and blaspheme for 42 months. Revelation 13 talks about the same way Daniel 9 did. Uh, but there's another beast, a beast from the earth. And this looks, this one has two lamb-like horns, but is dragon-mouthed, right? And this is Revelation 13, and this is who we call the false prophet. Um, because he is going to be an agent of false religion pointing people not to God but to this Antichrist figure and Revelation talks about that. It is easier to get in bite-sized chunks and that's what we'll be doing on Sunday morning but this is the overview and the beast, this beast causes all to receive a mark of the beast for commerce. If you don't have it you can't buy and sell and actually we're going to see this coming Sunday that some of them were already living in circumstances like that in their own day. Um, that was true for um, the church of uh, Pergamos that we're going to look at. Um, I'm sorry, the church in Smyrna that we're going to look at this coming Sunday. Um, but Revelation 14 shows the 144,000 singing before the throne. They've been successful. Uh, many times Revelation during this time takes you up to the end of the tribulation, showing you what's kind of happening in heaven. And as they witness, they're successful and people are being saved. Uh, Revelation 14, there's also three angels making proclamations that coincide with the second coming. In Revelation 17, he goes into further detail explaining uh, that the seven heads of the beast were seven kings and kingdoms that the beast comes from. already explained that to you. The hell-bound beast is of the seven and is the eighth king, so that's the Antichrist. Um, it says he'll make war with the lamb, but the lamb will overcome him. He mentions a great harlot that sits on this beast representing Babylon's man-made false religion. And so, in some ways, Scripture is a tale of two cities, Jerusalem and Babylon. So, Tower of Babel first introduced in Genesis 10 and 9, 10 and 11, right in there, right? And it talks about this anti-God, this anti-Christ spirit, this man-made, emphasize what man can do, sensuality, immorality, idolatry that's reared its head in many, many forms. As the world religions have been made and come along, many of them just incorporate things going all the way back. You know, there's, there's certain trends and things that go along together, whether it's Hindu mythology or the Greek and Roman mythology or whatever in those things. Some of it's very dark and sinister, uh, definitely not godly, um, and uh, it has no problem exploiting people in lots of different ways. Um, and so, the day will come when all that man-centered stuff uh, is dealt with and done. So in Revelation 18, Babylon the Great falls and heaven rejoices. And one of my favorite verses in Revelation 18, when an angel turns to the saints that have been praying about these things in heaven and saying, Rejoice! What you've been praying about, this is the Danny Campbell translation, what you've been praying about, saying how long until judgment comes, it is now come. And so, sometimes we talk about the call of the Bible is for us to love Jesus, but we're also told to fear God, right? 
And a person that loves Jesus should also be a God-fearing man or woman. And sometimes we make that a little complicated. We forget that one of the scriptures says, to fear God is to hate evil. So if we love Jesus, we'll hate evil. Um, we won't any, want any of it in our own lives. We'll grieve it when it's in our own lives. We'll repent of it. And we will uh, not want to do anything to promote it during our own lifetime. But when we get to heaven, man, saints up there have perfect knowledge, uh, a perfected knowledge, right? And they just look and say, oh, Lord, won't you bring in righteousness? Just like Daniel said, that at the end of the 77s, the end of the 70 weeks, at the end of that Daniel 9 prophecy, everlasting righteousness will, be, will come in because you'll have made an end to sin. So when it builds up toward that time that it says, it is done, Babylon has fallen, it is done, it's celebrating, people aren't going to get exploited anymore. You know, uh, Jesus wins, right? Pretty cool. And so immediately after celebrating the fall of Babylon, marriage, uh, heaven celebrates the marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation chapter 19. And then Christ returns on a white horse and does kill all that are gathered against him in defiance. And there's another supper, not the marriage supper of the Lamb, but the supper of the birds on the flesh of the wicked. And it's not just a revelation thing. Zechariah the prophet had said the same thing. There's going to come a time, Antichrist and his forces line up trying to take on Jesus as he returns to earth. And Jesus, who holds all things together by the word of the power, is going to, his word of his power is going to say, drop dead. And the molecules are just going to, there's going to be blood flowing in Jerusalem. Uh, well, all throughout that valley there um, as that happens. And then he's going to reign on earth for a thousand years. And that's what we're going to look at next time. So it's all in his hands and God will always have the last word. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. To learn more about the Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today.